Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day, but each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, and I'll be your host in this weekly roundup of News from the Week. I think media misinformation is at the heart of the problems plaguing the United States right now. And I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. I want to see this problem fixed. I don't want the government to try to reform the press. I think the First Amendment protects us from that. What I want to see is the press reform itself. And they won't do that unless enough of us speak up against the steady stream of lies they're pouring out. And so, like I said, this is going to be a weekly roundup where on each episode of this podcast, what I want to do is just take a look at the news of the week and point out some of the tricks some of the outright dishonesty. And what I generally want to do is stick to the headlines. A lot of times the lie is right in the headline. So we'll do that on uh, three, four, five, six, or seven different headlines each week. And uh, at the end of the program, what I want to do is a segment called Beyond the Headline. And in Beyond the Headline, I just want to dig into one story a little bit more in depth I want to talk about uh, maybe some specific things that one journalist did and maybe also talk about how that plays into the big picture of the state of journalism in our country right now. And so that's what this podcast is going to be all about. And we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. And the first thing I want to talk about is the Let's Go Brandon chant that's been, <laughs> if you saw the title of the program today, you knew this was coming. Let, let's Go Brandon. If you haven't heard about that, this was last weekend. It happened uh, on October 2nd, and there was a NASCAR driver his name is Brandon Brown. He's a racer who won his first NASCAR Xfinity Series. And so he was speaking with NBC after the race. And the NBC reporter, uh, I didn't know what this interviewer's name was, but uh, as she's talking to him, the crowd is chanting quite clearly. They're chanting. I'm not actually going to say what they were chanting. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, they were, I want this to be kind of a family friendly program. And so basically what they were chanting was F Joe Biden. I won't literally say what they were chanting, but you can piece that together from what I said. So this has been going on in sports venues around the country for the past month or so. A lot of fans at football games, at NASCAR races, they're just bursting into spontaneous chants of F Joe Biden. And the NBC reporter I, you know, she must know that this has been going on for the past few weeks now. So this is not something that was just spontaneous at that game. This has been kind of a, a cultural thing going on here lately. But she, I guess she didn't like that very much. And so in the video, which I can't play the video, because again, I'm trying to keep this family friendly. But in the video, she says, Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the crowd... And then it cuts in the video, it cuts to the crowd yelling quite clearly, F Joe Biden. But she says, let's go, Brandon. She, she says the crowd is chanting, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> and so uh, what she was trying to do was cover up something that would have been embarrassing for our current president, uh, President Joe Biden. Um, and so instead of reporting on what they were actually chanting, which really had nothing to do with the NASCAR driver at that moment. Instead of reporting on what they were actually chanting, she says they were actually saying, let's go, Brandon. 
Now, you know, to the average viewer sitting at home, if they didn't know what the crowd was chanting, I mean, it's kind of clear, but you know, when a, when a large crowd is shouting something, it can be a little bit hard to understand. If you didn't already know what they were chanting, you could have been misled by this reporter. Um, because you know, I'm not just to say misled, she lied. This is gaslighting 101. You know, maybe on a future broadcast, we'll talk about what gaslighting is. But this reporter, I mean, she knew because this had been going on for weeks. She knew what they were saying. And she tried to gaslight. She tried to tell you that what you think you hear is not what you're actually hearing. That's gaslighting. That's gaslighting 101. And so she said they were chanting, let's go, Brandon. I'm sorry to stomp on Brandon's moment there. But what the crowd was chanting really had nothing to do with him. And so uh, over the past week, it's been kind of hilarious. The hashtag, let's go, Brandon has just been popping up everywhere. Donald Trump Jr. posted this. I don't know if on Twitter or whatever, <laughs> posted uh, let's, let's go, Brandon. And, um, of course, having a second, second meaning to that, uh, I saw that some companies that are not real sympathetic to President Joe Biden, they've been selling T-shirts with the phrase, let's go, Brandon, on them. And uh, this has just been a, a meme throughout the week, throughout the past week. Um, Ted Cruz He's, and he's a senator from Texas. He said, let's go, Brandon, is one of the funniest things he's ever seen, and it captures everything about fake news all at once. That is so true. That's why I wanted to make that the first thing I talked about on this podcast, because it is everything about fake news. It's the media taking something, uh, just lying, that was totally unnecessary. She could have just ignored the crowd. That's what makes this so funny, is she could, she could have just ignored the crowd. She could have said absolutely nothing about it not even referred to them at all. But no, she doesn't like that they're making Joe Biden look bad at this game. And so she has to just tell this flat lie, flat out lie. And she says they're chanting, let's go, <laughs> let's go, Brandon. Uh, Scott Adams, who's the creator of Dilbert, he tweeted that Trump's 2024 presidential campaign slogan should be, let's go, Brandon which would all would that would just be funny. So it's been popping up everywhere over the past week. I saw that at the Chicago O'Hare airport, someone grabbed a microphone and paged, let's go, Brandon. Um, this, this was an attempt to gaslight, which I might go into more in depth what gaslighting is on a future program, but it's when the, when the media tries to tell you, oh, what you saw is not what you saw. What you heard is not what you thought you heard. What you remember, that wasn't true. Here's what the real, here's what the real history was. And they, they do this, they play this game a lot where they try, to, they try to confuse audiences until you're not really sure that you can trust your own cognitive ability. They, they make you try to doubt yourself and, say, and make you think, oh, I can only trust them because they're the news, they're the media. I need to touch them as the, as the paper of record, you, as, the, as the company that's going to tell me what's true and what's false. Uh, and I must have just remembered wrong. Well, that's what gaslighting is. This attempt to gaslight blew up right in their face, and so that's what makes it so glorious. All right, so I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on these because I have a few more to come. Uh, but let's talk about a few more today. So, the Associated Press ran a fact check. Let me explain the original story for a minute. The National School Boards Association, known as the NSBA. Okay, so the NSBA. The claim. And I guess this is this is actually what actually happened. They asked the Biden administration to label parents who protest school board policies. They want them to be labeled domestic terrorists. They actually sent a letter to the Biden administration, and the Biden administration has capitulated to this. They've said, 
we're going to have the FBI and the Department of Justice look into parents who now go to school board meetings and protest the policies of the school board, which is should just be any parents, any citizens, right, to speak up at these at these board meetings about uh, what they don't like going on in schools. And honestly, it is a right. You can't stop them from doing that. And so what the what the National School Board Association is trying to do is intimidate these parents out of showing up to more meetings, try to get them on an FBI terror watch list, literally. <laughs> and so the, the Associated Press has ran a fact check on this, on this claim that the NSBA is asking the Biden administration to label parents who go to these school board meetings to label them as domestic terrorists. And the Associated Press did a fact check on this, and it says... AP's assessment, false. The organization, the NSBA for short, is not asking Biden to label parents who protest at school board meetings as terrorists. The NSBA asked the administration to do an interagency investigation. Okay, well, here's what's great about the, the, the Associated Press fact check. I have a copy here of the actual letter that the NSBA sent to the Biden administration. Let me read to you what the actual letter says. The actual letter says the classification of these heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. The NSBA requests that such review that such review examine appropriate and forcible actions against these crimes and acts of violence under the Gun-Free School Zones Act, the Patriot Act, in regards to domestic terrorism. And so in the letter they sent to the Biden administration, they asked them to do a review saying that these are a form, literally it says in the letter, a f- could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. That is what they asked. And so the Associated Press, um, the, their fact check is, they say that this is false to claim that that's what the NSBA wanted. That is directly in the letter. They're saying it's false because they didn't call it directly domestic terrorism. They said it's the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. So if you say something's the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism, I guess that's not calling it domestic terrorism. All you've said is that it's the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. So I just went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Let me tell you what equivalent means from the dictionary itself. Equivalent, equal in force, amount, or value, like in signification or import. Having logical equivalence, equivalent statements corresponding or virtually identical, especially in effect or function. (laughs) So I think equivalent means the same as. So they said these parents are the same as domestic terrorists. (laughs) That was literally reading right from the letter from the NSBA. So the Associated Press fact check, I don't, I don't even know. There's not even a word for it. When you do a fact check and the, the fact check is just telling you the exact opposite of the truth. I, we need to come up with some kind of word for that because that's what a lot of these fact-checking organizations do. That's what this Associated Press fact-check did. All right, so that was number two, and just a lie from the Associated Press. Here's a third one, uh, and this is from a a news, I don't know if you call it, I don't think it's a magazine, but it's an online publication called Jezebel. Now, I don't want to pick on Jezebel too much because... They are openly biased, unlike the Associated Press or NBC or a lot of other mainstream sources. Jezebel is actually openly biased. So they wear their bias right there on their sleeve. They, they let you know, hey, we're a left-leaning news organization. 
Uh, I don't even they call themselves a news organization. It's a, I, all I've ever seen from them is opinion pieces. But 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 they are openly they're they're honest about where they lean, and so I can respect that. That at least they're out in the open about it. But I want to tell you about one of their their news articles this week, and this was in response to a senator. I believe she's from Arizona, Kristen Cinema, and she was chased into a bathroom by a few of her constituents. Uh, she was chased into a bathroom, and she was trying to use the restroom, and they followed her in there. They were recording her. They were harassing her about um, she doesn't want to vote for some, uh, I, th- I think it was to raise the debt ceiling or for some infrastructure bill that's that's being argued about right now in the Senate. And she w- didn't want to vote for it yet. She didn't think it was ready yet. She wanted some more work done on it, some changes made to it. So anyway, some of these, some of these uh, voters chased her into a bat and actually not all of them were voted or were voters one of them was an illegal alien they said uh they, they they chased her into a restroom and were recording her and just uh harassing her while she was trying to go to the bathroom i'm pretty sure that's that's breaking the law somewhere even if she is a, a senator i don't think you can do that so um anyway here is what jezebel reported in response to that this is an opinion piece and again i it's okay to if, if you're open about your bias, I don't care that you write opinion pieces with bias right in the headline. But here's, here's what the headline says right now. If you went to the website right now, here's what it would say. Absolutely confront Kristen Cinema outside of her bathroom stall. Okay? That's what it would say if you went right now, whenever I printed this off, which was yesterday, October 8th. They said, absolutely confront Kristen Cinema outside her bathroom stall. Okay. That was not the original headline. Here was the original, and this was from earlier in the week. Absolutely bully Kristen Cinema outside of her bathroom stall. So they changed it. Originally, they said absolutely bully this sitting United States senator. Absolutely bully Kristen Cinema outside of her bathroom stall. So <laughs> what I here's what I found funny about this. I like that. Um, I, I guess you call it saying the quiet part out loud. They originally reported that we should bully this senator until she does what they want. And then I guess they realized, after they had already posted it, then they realized, you know, we're not supposed to bully people. Like, bullying is what we tell people not to do. It's what we teach our kids not to do. We try to tell them not to bully. Uh, the Bullying is what... The bad guys do. So they must have had this click in their head after they had already posted it. Looked like they posted it October the 4th. (laughs) So anyway, they went in and changed that sometime after that. They changed the word bully to confront. But you know what? We caught them. Actually, in the URL, you can't change the URL after you've posted it. So the URL still says bully, even though they changed the headline word to confront, which is a little bit tamer and sounds a little bit nicer, but... But <laughs> their their intention with the word confront, though, obviously, is to bully people. So here's what I like about this. They accidentally told the, the truth, as in they accidentally said what they really thought. They said what they really wanted, which was bully, and then they went back and changed it later because they realized, oh, that sounds bad. That makes us sound like the bad guys. But they accidentally, at first, said what they really meant. They accidentally told the truth. And that's, that's what I find so hilarious about it. The media lies so much that if they accidentally tell the truth, they must immediately issue a correction, you know, and, and go back in and fix it, <laughs> make it sound a little bit nicer. 
But no, we already caught it. We already caught what they really thought. So that was from Jezebel. Here's here's a fourth one for you today. This was actually, I'm just telling you about a retraction. This wasn't from a headline, but this is from a retraction in the New York Times, uh, which right now they are trying to generate a lot of fear. I mean, that's what the media is doing. That's That helps them get clicks, which translates into money. They want to generate fear about the coronavirus. And so I'm not saying the virus isn't something that is, can actually affect and, and kill you. I mean, it can because it's a, it's, a, it's a virus that's killed many, many people. But the media is trying to sell this thing as, as extra scary. They're trying to push it over the top and how scary it actually is. And so they, the New York Times ran this article about um, how children should only be given one dose of the vaccination. I guess, I guess, you know, there's that one vaccine where you have to have two doses um, and f- before you're considered fully vaccinated, but that there is a side effect to it that's a bit more dangerous for children. It's called myocarditis. And so it's it's causing some heart problems, especially in young boys. And so they're recommending only giving one shot of the the vaccination instead of the two doses. Okay, so the New York Times ran this story about this. The headline is, a new vaccine strategy for children, just one dose for now. Subhead, myocarditis, a rare side effect, occurs mostly after the second dose. So in some countries, officials are tr- trying out single doses for children. <laughs> so... The New York Times had to issue a correction that I think the day after this article ran. And so the correction is just kind of funny uh, because they <laughs> it's written kind of in a mild, it's just written kind of mildly, but <laughs> there was a major error in the original story. And so it says correction, October 7th, 2021. An earlier version of this article incorrectly described actions taken by regulators in Sweden and Denmark. They have halted use of the Moderna vaccine in children. They have not begun offering single doses. The article that was that was the first error, kind of a mild. That's a, kind of a little thing. Second thing, the article also misstated the number of COVID hospitalizations in U.S. children. It is more than sixty-three thousand from August two thousand twenty to October twenty twenty-one, not nine hundred thousand since the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> so, they reported in the original article that more than nine hundred thousand children had been hospitalized from the coronavirus. And the reality was it was more than 63,000. So they were off by like 800-something thousand. <laughs> it was, you know, there were many, many, many times over from what the truth actually was. And so, and that's just, the, that's just, they kind of blanket that in second. They put like kind of the little error that they got first. And they're like, by the way, we were off on this by like... <laughs> Six times, seven times as much as what it actually was. I don't know, 10 times as much? Let's see. Let me just look it up here. The The reporter exaggerated the number of child hospitalizations by 837,000 cases. So I don't know. That's got to be like more than 10 times as much off. <laughs> they made it sound more than 10 times worse than it actually is for children. Like I said, because they're trying to drum up the fear about the, the virus, make it scarier than it actually is when it's not nearly as threatening for children as it is for adults, especially older adults. The older you are, the more threatening this virus is. But they are trying to just drum up the fear right now. Then that wasn't even all the mistakes they made. There's a third one. The article misstated the timing of an FDA meeting on authorization of the Pfizer vaccine for children. So anyway, um, just kind of, they like have two minor corrections. And then 
there's a major error that they just sandwich right in between those other two. <laughs> I guess, you know, hoping you don't notice it. Here, let me tell you about this reporter from the New York Times. Aporva Mandavili is the name of the reporter. I'm probably not saying it right. But Apor- it says this in the New York Times article. Aporva Mandavili is a reporter focusing on science and global health. She's the 2019 winner of the Victor Cohn Prize for Excellence in Medical Science Reporting. <laughs> so she's won an award for her medical science reporting. I hope they put an expiration date on that because clearly it no longer applies. And this same reporter, uh, she's told she's gone off the deep end lots of times. Um, and let me, the, on Yahoo News, here's what they said about about the reporter. Mandavili has been a controversial figure at the Times for her ideologically colored pandemic coverage. She's co- she's covered the pandemic in an ideological way. Um, here's what she tweeted. Someday we will stop talking about the lab leak theory. Okay, so this was about the idea that the coronavirus uh, was not created in a wet market by some genetic accident, but that this was actually manufactured inside a lab uh, in Wuhan, China, and that it escaped from the lab somehow, and that's how it got out into the world. And so she says, someday we'll stop talking about the lab leak theory and maybe even admit its racist roots, but alas, that day is not today. So she tweeted that a while back, um, or, you know, that, this was something I knew about the, from the coronavirus pandemic early on, like I did, from like the first or second month, I remember hearing about they had a lab in Wuhan, China, and that that's where they think that the virus could have escaped from. But this reporter says that is racist to think that. Well, the narrative, you know, last year was that it was racist to say it was from a lab. This year, there's actually been quite a bit of evidence come out that yes, this virus probably escaped from the lab, that it wasn't just some genetic accident in a wet market. And so she was corrected on this, that the lab leak theory actually has some reasonable support for it. Uh, It always did, but she was informed that, you know, there's actually a lot of evidence that this really was the case, the lab leak theory. And she tweeted back, doesn't make the roots any less racist or the theory any more convincing. So (laughs) even if it's true, it's still racist. That's what she wants you to know. Listen, if the New York Times wanted any credibility with you, they would fire a reporter who said things like this. I mean, she calls honest reporting. She's just said the truth is racist. Even if it's true, it's racist because, you know, she wants to brand it racist. Um, If the New York Times wanted any credibility with you, the American citizen, the person listening right now, if they wanted credibility with you, they would fire her. But the New York Times does not want any credibility with you, so they will continue to work with her. They don't care about credibility with you. That's why we got to call them out. That's why we got to shine a spotlight on this stuff. All right, here's one more headline for for you, and then we're going to go into beyond the headline with something. But let me give you one more headline. This is from, again, the New York Times, who already has no credibility here, we know. But they say uh, they're reporting that segregation is still in full force, I guess, in New York City. Um, the headline on this article, de Blasio to phase out New York City gifted and talented program. That's the headline subhead. The mayor unveiled a plan to replace the highly selective program, which has become a glaring symbol of segregation in New York City public schools for incoming students. So they have this math program. Uh, it's a gifted student program. If you test really well at math, if you're doing really good at math, they'll send you into this Uh, Like they do with a lot of different subjects in school, they'll put you in this special gifted and talented program. And the the subhead announces that this program is a is segregation. 
uh, I guess here's here's what is going on with this program. Uh, according to according to some facts I saw reported somewhere else in National Review, they report that 36% of the students in the gifted program are white, 43% are Asian. So the vast majority of the students are white or Asian. It, most of them are Asian, 43%. And then whites have the second highest amount, which is 36%. And so I guess the rest is, you know, other races and... Um, th- so this was being reported in the New York Times as segregation. So <laughs> because the vast majority of the students in the gifted and talented program are are white or Asian. So a couple things about this. One, segregation has been illegal since the 1960s. Just FYI, segregation has been illegal in the, United, in the United States. We had a civil rights movement in the 1960s. Uh, you should read about it. Probably if you go back to a New York Times article from the 1960s, it'll tell you about it that we had a civil rights movement and segregation has been totally done away with in this country. It's illegal to segregate classes on the basis of race. Is that actually what this program is doing? No, it does not segregate at all on the basis of race. It has white and Asian students. It has students probably of every color of kids who live in New York City to some degree, but I guess uh, because 43% are Asian and then 30-something percent are white, there's a much smaller percentage of other races being represented in these classes. I, I tell you what, it, it's, it says it pretty clearly. It's on the basis of your merits. It's on the basis of how good you are in math. They don't put you in this gifted and talented program on the basis of your skin color. That would be illegal. So why does this article say it's segregation right there in the subhead? The subhead is the secondary headline. A lot of times you see the big headline on an article to kind of grab your attention, and then they have a smaller headline before you actually get into the article itself. That's the subhead. In the subhead, they call this segregation. Let me read it again. A glaring symbol of segregation. Now, notice how they just do that little wordplay right there. They say it's a symbol of segregation. They want you to hear that word segregation and think, oh my goodness, this country's so racist. We still have segregation going on in our public schools. Look at it right there in New York City. How can they report something so abundantly false? They just say it's a symbol of segregation. That means in some people's heads, it's segregation. Okay, and some people who see everything through a prism of, of race and are ready to call everything racism at the drop of a hat, they see it as segregation. Okay, but it's literally not segregation. It's, an, it's, an, it's imagined as segregation in some people's heads. That's why they call it a symbol of segregation. So it's just an, another, the New York Times, totally trash, totally trash. Um, that's where all these articles are going. As soon as I'm done recording here, they're all going in the trash because there's nothing worth saving in all of these lies that they report. Okay, now let's do something I'm going to call Beyond the Headline. In Beyond the Headline, what we do is we're going to dig in to one important news article from this week, and I want to just go a little bit more in-depth on how it's reported and talk a little bit more um, specifically, not just looking at the headlines, but going specifically into the article to discuss what it's actually saying to us. And so perhaps you've seen a lot of news this week about Facebook. Facebook, I, uh, someone stood up and submitted some documents to some government agency uh, saying that Facebook has all these problems going on and she's calling herself the whistleblower. And she's saying, I'm blowing the whistle on all these Terrible things going on over at Facebook. And I'll tell you what some of those supposedly terrible things are here in just a second. 
But this has been something that's really big in the news this week. This is playing very well into the Democrats' agenda. They would they would like to control, they'd like to regulate what's allowed on Facebook. They want to force Facebook to trim out um, what they call dishonest or misleading information. What they really want to do is is trim down Facebook's ability to to share conservative or Republican content. And so they're really trying to phase a lot of that out. They're trying to get their their claws into Facebook uh, through government regulation. They're trying to take control of social media and say, oh, no, you have to block out harmful misinformation, and then they'll just block out stuff that that, uh, makes Democrats look bad, or they'll try to block out stuff that goes against Democrat narratives or, or helps Republican causes or conservative values. So... That's really what their long-term goal is. They're, the way that they're trying to do that is by ginning up a bunch of public uh, mistrust of Facebook. And so that's why they're really showcasing this Facebook whistleblower and making a big deal about this. And uh, and I'll say this too. There's a lot of conservatives who don't like, like Facebook or don't like Mark Zuckerberg uh, that have a lot of mistrust about social media companies because they're so powerful and can do so much to influence American thought and future elections and, and all that kind of stuff too. So there's already also a lot of, of animosity coming from conservatives as well. Here's the problem though. Uh, what Democrats want to do with social media and what conservatives, Republicans would want to do with social media, two very different things. Uh, re- conservatives or Republicans would like to see social media regulated in the sense that they would like to stop social media from suppressing people on the basis of views or opinions. They want everyone to be able to have their freedom of speech, even in the realm of these social media platforms. The the Democrats have a different agenda. They don't want everyone to have free speech. They want to regulate the platforms so that only certain people have free speech and that other certain people don't have free speech on these platforms. And so there is animosity against social media among Republicans and Democrats, but for very different reasons. And so this can be really dangerous if the media is successful in ginning up a lot of hatred of social media right now, because right now the the Democrats control a lot of the stuff in the government. And so whatever they would try to enact right now, as far as regulation of social media companies, every all, all that regulation right now would benefit the more liberal or Democrat side because they have the control over the government right now. <laughs> and so um, that, that's part of why the media here is working working with them to gin up some of this this uh, animosity toward Facebook. And so here's an article from Gizmodo. And this is a, it's another, um, I don't, I don't think they've got a magazine component or at least they don't anymore, but they're, I'm not, I don't know that for sure. They are a, a company that reports on uh, media, technology, science. Gizmodo is the name. They're, they're in their masthead that says we come from the future. And so they like to report on what's going on in the field of technology and they've reported on this Facebook whistleblower story. Here's the headline, Nine Horrifying Facts from the Facebook Whistleblower's New 60 Minutes Interview. Subhead, you knew Facebook was making the world crappier. I'm changing it a little. But it's so much worse than you realized. Okay, so let me go through a little bit of this article. And I'm not going to go through all nine. I don't want this to take forever. But I just want to show you some of the linguistic tricks. And it says in the headline, Nine horrifying facts from the Facebook whistleblower. I mean, here's what they want you to think when they put that in the headline. They want you to think, 
oh my goodness, there's nine horrifying things. Even if you don't read the article, you're like, wow, nine? And maybe some of those are a bit exaggerated, but there must be two or three pretty bad ones in there. Okay, well, let's look at it and see if that's really the case. So number one in this Gizmodo article, um, according to the whistleblower, she did an interview with 60 Minutes. Gizmodo is reporting on it. According to the whistleblower, number one, Facebook's algorithm intentionally shows users things to make them angry. Uh, Haugen explained the the whistleblower's name is like Christina Haugen. She explained to 60 Minutes how Facebook's algorithm chooses content that's likely to make users angry because that causes the most engagement. And user engagement is what Facebook turns into ad dollars. Its own research is showing that content that is hateful, that is divisive, that is polarizing, is easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. Facebook realized if they change the algorithm to be safer, people will spend less time on the site, they'll click less ads, they'll make less money. Okay, so that's, that is how she frames it. Now notice, she is framing it in this certain way. The media is just copying what she said in her framework. They're not analyzing what she said to tell you, like, is she skewing things a little bit? Is she being totally fair in the way she's presenting this information? No, they're just re-reporting what she said originally, as if now that, as if that's the fact, you know, as if the media's job is to just quote other people and say, and that's the way it is, and not double check on this. So that's one way to frame it. She frames this, that Facebook has an algorithm that shows users things to make them angry because that's what causes them to click on the content or engage with the content more. Okay, let's just re-examine that for a second from a different angle. According to the Haugen herself, this is what people want to see. They want to see this content that makes them mad, that makes them angry. Like this is what they want to click on. Okay, so Facebook is not making them want to be angry. They're already coming <laughs> with a desire, you know, to find things that, or, or when they see something that makes them angry, they're more likely to jump on that and click on that article or like it or whatever. Um, they're more likely to engage in that. That is more of a society problem. That, that's a human nature problem. I, I agree that that is a problem. We shouldn't always want to just jump on stuff to make us mad all the time. You know, sure, I agree with that. But that's not a Facebook problem specifically. I mean, that's that's a human nature issue right there. That's a sin nature issue. It would be nice um, if maybe Facebook tried to extend some friction against the human nature tendency to want to engage more with content that angers us. You know, if if it'd be nice if Facebook tried to work against that, okay? I that would be nice, sure. Does that mean that they're obligated to do that? And you know, to lose money, but like to not earn as much money as they could otherwise by cutting against this kind of basic human desire to engage with that kind of content. I don't I don't know that they're obligated to more than any other company. You know, like Dairy Queen. Could Dairy Queen help society by not selling as many blizzards, you know, um, I, I think that <laughs> that that could that could probably help society a bit. Is Dairy Queen obligated to, in some special sense, in a way that you know that we would put it like a standard on them that we wouldn't put on everyone else? You know, I don't think so. Uh, we could we could any company out there could be doing something to harm society. I remember a few years ago, Netflix had this show out called uh, Thirteen Reasons Why. This was a show about a teenager who committed suicide and the show kind of, I never watched it, but I guess the show glamorized suicide, made the, made the girl who committed suicide really sympathetic so that 
uh, the, every episode was digging into the reasons of, of why she, you know, that's where the title comes from, I guess, why she did this. And I remember after that happened, there was actually a spike in suicides after that show came out, you know, for like, it, as it was in the news for a little bit after it came out, there was a spike in suicides after that. A lot of people, sad to say, got inspired by the show and followed through on their own suicide after that. You know, that, and that was just something that happened that they traced to the influence of this show on the culture. Now, Netflix did something that was, made, sure, probably made them a bunch of money, but it did have a negative effect on society to some degree. Uh, I don't know if there were any positives we could say about the show. Maybe it helped some people. Maybe it helped some people choose not to have suicide. You know, I don't, I don't know that. But it looked like the net effect was that there was a higher suicide rate after that. Was there a big push for government regulation to come in and 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 tell Netflix what they are and aren't allowed to put on their platform? You know, there was no push about the, about that, um, and that was something you could point to very clearly and say they did something that was bad for society. But we also recognize in a free country they do have a right, a certain First Amendment right, to share what they want to. Um, and the the you know <laughs> a lot of things. If Netflix had everything taken off the air that they've ever put out, there's probably a lot of good that would be done for society. But I also recognize they have a constitutional right to create content and put it out there. Uh, and if people will pay for it, you know, then that, that then Netflix is allowed to do that. Dairy Queen's allowed to sell blizzards. So what I'm saying is, why do we single Facebook out for government regulation when there's stuff that any any company could do? to not cause as much harm to society as what they are doing by some product that they are selling, you know? So, and if we just look at that one thing that the company does, you know, Amazon sells a lot of things. There's probably some things you could buy on Amazon that are actually bad for society. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I mean, I'm sure there's something that's bad for society that's for sale on Amazon. Okay, does that mean that we get the government to come in and regulate Amazon? Do we demonize all of Amazon because of maybe one or two things that they sell that's that's not good, or many things they might sell that's not good? Uh, you know, we aren't we aren't doing that. So why are we doing that to Facebook? Well, like I said, this is all part of the end goal is to try to get the government's claws into Facebook and to regulate Facebook. I mean, that's the end goal. So that's why they're trying to generate all this public hostility toward the company. But all I'm pointing out is that the company's not doing anything that's really different. From a lot of other companies out there, um, the only difference might be that we, you know, a lot of us use Facebook more than what we do at Dairy Queen. <laughs> um, uh, here's another thing uh, from the same article. Okay, so number two from this article from Gizmodo. That was just point number one out of the nine. I'm not going to go through all nine points, but point number two: Facebook is worse than most other social media companies. So I read that I'm like, oh wow, I wonder what the whistleblower said about how Facebook is worse than other social media companies. Okay, well, let me read you what Gizmodo says. Whenever we talk about social media and the ways it's harmed society, a lot of big tech companies get lumped in together, whether it's Twitter or YouTube or Pinterest. But according to Haugen, Facebook is uniquely awful. Well, by now I'm thinking, whoa, what is it about Facebook that's uniquely awful? I'll continue. This is a quote from Haugen. I've seen a bunch of social networks. And it was substantially worse at Facebook than anything I'd seen before, Haugen told 60 Minutes. Well, now I'm getting excited. I'm like, okay, well, what is she saying is so much worse at Facebook than all these other companies? Next paragraph. Haugen previously worked at Pinterest and Google and insists that Facebook really is worse 
than the rest of big tech in substantial ways. Well, now I'm all ginned up. I'm like, okay, what is so much worse about Facebook than all the other social media companies this lady's worked for? Are you ready for it? Point three. And it just goes on to the next point. (laughs) It doesn't even finish point two. It just asserts this. Facebook is worse than other social media companies. And then it repeats that in the first paragraph. And then it repeats that idea in the second paragraph. And then it just repeats that idea again in the third paragraph. And that's all there is to it. <laughs> like It just says four times in a row, Facebook is worse. Facebook is worse. Facebook is worse. Facebook is worse. And they never explain how Facebook is worse. They just keep repeating that again and again. And that's what passes for journalism nowadays, apparently. Okay. And then it just goes on to point three. So point three is that Facebook dissolved its civic integrity unit after the 2020 election and before the January 6th Capitol insurrection. And so if you remember, if you were using Facebook and other social media last year, um, the social media companies were doing a lot to cut down on uh, campaign information, anything that could be misinformation about the 2020 campaign. Um, And and so they, they they were putting a lot of disclaimers on content and trying to cut down on a lot of the lies that come out right before an election. And so they they called that its civic integrity unit. Once the 2020 election wrapped up and Joe Biden was declared the winner back in 2020, Facebook stopped doing that. They stopped regulating so heavily all the content that was related to the, the election. And so this article is just saying they stopped regulating all the information and then the January 6th Capitol insurrection happened. So in other words, they're, they're putting that idea out there to try to say Facebook is partially to blame for the events that happened at the Capitol on uh, January 6th of this year, <laughs> you know, because they stopped regulating so heavily last year. Again, all this stuff is just to try to make Facebook look bad so the government can regulate Facebook more. They want the government, the government wants Facebook to really cut down on anything that could be conservative, Republican uh, content that they say is going to lead to things like the Capitol insurrection. They say that's Facebook's fault. All right, and then let me just point out the fourth the fourth point they have here. This is the last one I'll look at today. Political parties in Europe ran negative ads because it was the only way to reach people on Facebook. And so <laughs> it's just saying that the political ads that are negative got more traction on Facebook. And so in order for people to get more traction on Facebook, they came up with more negative ads than positive ads because they knew that would get more engagement on Facebook. All right, let me just tell you something. That's been true since like, since television ads, video ads were created. Okay, negative ads have always (laughs) gotten more attention than positive ads. That's just something that's like always been true that has nothing to do with Facebook specifically. Like that's just been... That's been true on television. That's why they run negative ads. If positive ads got more attention, they would just only run positive ads. They they run negative ads because they know that's going to catch people's eyes more than a, a positive ad is going to. That's why they run so many negative ads. And so anyway, this is just more just junk reporting. Um, it's just repeating what the whistleblower says and not even thinking about this, running it through a filter in your brain before you put it to print and being like, well, is that really a good point? Does that really make sense? Is that actually something innovative and a new idea about Facebook? Or is or is that just kind of meaningless drivel? All nine points in this article are meaningless drivel. I hope I don't have to go any more through anymore to, to prove that to you. I'm just gonna stop at four because I think this it's time to wrap up this podcast. It really is. So I just 
Uh, I'm really excited to start this show uh, here on on iTunes. I'll try to get it on all the major platforms uh, where podcasts are available. Uh, but I'm really excited to start this show. Uh, I think what I would say, the main idea for this week, um, besides all the, the Facebook stuff we just talked about, the main idea for this week, what I really wanted to, uh, I would just say something that ties all this together is that a lot of news companies uh, want to work hand in hand with the Democrats and cover up anything that could make the Democrat agenda look bad. And so that's why this NBC reporter, when the crowd is shouting negative stuff about Joe Biden, uh, who's the Democratic president right now, that's why she tries to say, oh, they're actually telling you, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> you know, the reason they do that is because they want to cover for the Democrats. The Associated Press did a fact check where they said, oh, well, the, the NBSA, whatever that board was, they didn't really call American citizens domestic terrorists because they speak at school board meetings. Yeah, that's actually exactly what they did. The AP was trying to cover up what they said, but it was exactly true. Um, when they did the, the COVID misinformation in the New York Times saying that 900,000 children had been hospitalized by COVID and they had to go back and, and do that embarrassing retraction a few days later because it was just a flat-out flat out lie, complete over-exaggeration by like 10 times as much. But they're trying to cover for the Democrat agenda. Uh, you know, the Democrats want to enforce more of the vaccine mandates and the school mandates and all that stuff. Uh, so they, they, they do all this stuff. And here's how I, here's why I say the media is left-leaning. Well, even when they print retractions and try to go back, here's why I say they're left-leaning, because they make all their mistakes in one direction. They never make a, a mistake in a direction that would benefit conservatives or Republicans or, or Christians or, or people perceived to be on the right. They never make mistakes that make them look better. I've never seen an article, I've never seen a retraction in the New York Times where they said, oh, that we printed some article that accidentally um, made Joe Biden look bad, and, and here's the truth. It's actually a lot better for him than what we print. They never do that. <laughs> they, they never come in and say, oh, we accidentally printed this article that, that made a Democrat look bad, and, and now we have to do a retraction. It's, it's never that way. Um, they, never, they never print something that helps a Republican and then retract it later and like, oops, we accidentally printed something that helped a Republican. You know, they don't do that. So um, it, the, all the mistakes always fall in the same direction. They, they never fall in the other direction. And, and even when they print a retraction, I don't give them much credit for that because a lot of people never see the retraction. They print the mistake in bold print on page one, and then the retraction is buried on page 37 where no one's ever going to see it. And you know, a lot of people are only ever going to see what came out on day one or see what was on page one, and they're never going to see the retraction later. They don't print the retractions on the front page. And so right now, honestly, journalism is dead. But if we hold them accountable, shine a spotlight on their dishonesty, maybe we can revive it. And that's what this podcast seeks to do. I'll be back next week, and we'll be looking at a few different news articles. And uh, hopefully by then I have a, a theme song. I'll try to get a theme song. I literally just came up with the idea for this podcast like Wednesday. Okay, so like three days ago. And so I've thrown all this together. I don't have a theme song yet. I need to get a stand for my microphone that's not right in front of me where I'm bumping into it all the time. So hopefully by next time I've got that stuff all sorted out. And I look forward to talking to you again. This has been Luke Taylor. Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast.